Releasing a game that explores themes that are important to a designer always shows who they really are. Being able to show the world that you're willing to put that on display is a great way to tell others who you are and what you believe in. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk to Kartik about their game, The Gardener and the Wild Vines. We talk about the studio he works with, Finite Reflections, what it looks like working with a small team, and identity. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover projects that you may have missed. This week, I am super excited to be bringing on Kartik to come and talk about Gardener and the Wild Vines, which for me right now has been one of my favorite indie games to come out to date. It's it's so good. Kartik, thank you for coming onto the show this week. Yeah, thank you for having me, Zach. It's uh, exciting to be here. You launched this game about a week ago, I think, at about a week ago now, isn't it? Yeah, last Thursday, actually almost on the dot last Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And before we really get into it, how has the past week and reception been? Um, reception's been great. Uh, it was a very scary Thursday for me. Um, this game being a deeply personal, deeply emotional game for me to release. Um, I've always wanted to, you know, explore topics uh, of you know, identity and topics that are a little, you know, scary to to talk about in games, especially knowing how uh, people tend to react when games delve into sensitive topics. Um, So it was a very scary day for me to put it out all out there. But then seeing, uh, you know, content creators engaging with it, seeing some people kind of, you know, having some genuinely emotional reactions to it, has been really, really deeply gratifying to me as a creator. I'm super glad to hear about that. Before we get too far in and dive into Gardener and the Wild Vines, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So, as you already mentioned, my name is Kartik. Um, I've wanted to make games for literally as long as I can remember um, and have kind of been doing so as well for as long as I can remember. Um, I started back during the Flash days, never got good enough to publish anything, but was always great, had great admiration for the, whom I view as now the veterans of the game industry that kind of, you know, uh, spawned the indie scene with Flash games. And uh, was inspired by all of the incredible creative work that was made during that era and have been chasing that dream ever since um we started the studio finite reflection studios during my junior year of college and uh you know it came out of a game jam uh the studio did when we me and my teammates just met by chance at a jam local to atlanta where we're based and um we just kind of you know uh, got along and really enjoyed talking to each other, really enjoyed working with each other, and then made the studio, and then <laughs> messed around for a bit trying to figure out how to make a game uh, commercially, <laughs> you know, just to, just to launch a game, period. Yeah. Try to figure that out for, like, about a year or two before we realized, uh, you know, things that we needed to get figured out. <laughs> and then we did figure them out, and we created a game called Twin Cop, which was a co-op uh, game, which uh, did 
pretty well for our studio's first game that we ever started. Um, it's hilariously fun. <laughs> thank you. Um, and then we also launched a small, like, minimalist puzzle strategy game called Containment. We started picking up some porting contracts, uh, helping port other studios' games. Uh, one very exciting contract we got was being able to port Cartoon Network's uh, Save the Light game from console to Steam. And as well as just recently announced, I think yesterday or today, we have been also helping uh, Bowl Cut Studios port their excellent indie mage brawler game, Mage Quit, to Switch. Yes. Uh, which, if you haven't seen that game before, it's uh, it's it's an incredible game, and the developers behind it are it's just two brothers, and they're so passionate about their game. Um, but yeah, we're helping port their game as well to to switch. So our studio's been doing you know dabbling in a lot of different things, but primarily trying to focus on either making our own indie stuff or uplifting other indie stuff where we can. And then that brought us to the Gardener and the Wild Finds, which we created originally for the GMTK Jam 2020. Uh, the theme okay. was out of control, and we had this idea of making a platformer where the platforms are basically out of control because they're spawning on this procedural vine that you have little to no control over. Oh, cool. And that was that was the like original crux of the idea. It was just that simple gameplay idea, and... We made it. We thought it was pretty neat. We iterated on it until we released it. <laughs> that's that's rad. I had no idea that Gardner started as a game jam game. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, <laughs> all of our games, I guess except for Containment, Twin Cop and this one have both been spawned from jams. That's so cool. We talk a lot about game jams on here because there are so many different types. And so I haven't really gotten to talk about uh, video games and game jams. So I'm sure that's a whole different beast, too. Yeah, um, it's on one hand, always very exciting to try to take a game that you've created for a game jam and bring it to release. But it also comes with its fair share of uh, challenges and uh, limitations. Mm hmm. Let's get a little bit deeper into Gardener of the Wild Vines. I love this game. Um, it's a lot of self-discovery and very, very much like a, a wonderful gay love story. <laughs> How how's this game changed from that that platformer that was made in the out of control game jam to what released really recently? Yeah, um, it's funny. Uh, about a month ago, prior to launch, I reopen that jam version just to play it again because I basically hadn't played it since then and was reminded of just how far the game had come since then and uh, for starters uh, I realized upon playing the jam game that as far as platformers go, not to be too self-deprecating here, but it kind of sucked. <laughs> uh, the, the controls are super, super floaty like uh, you had I, I know the theme of the jam was out of control, but I really felt mm -hmm. like out of control trying to control the gardener in that uh, jam game. And um, that was like one of the first major changes that we made from that jam version to bring us towards uh, the finished product was tightening up the controls, tightening up all of the um, movement systems to make them feel better. And that was just months and months of really 
fine tuning with tiny little numbers here and there until you felt like, okay, yeah, now, now I feel like even though you still can't 100% rely on exactly where the vines grow and all that stuff, it still feels good to control a gardener. It still feels like mm-hmm. when you fall, you're like, okay, yeah, that was basically my fault because I didn't, you know, control the character the way I was supposed to. I was going to say, because the gardener controls so well, like <laughs> it's you. so responsive. Yeah, that's that's always been like a, a personal big thing is I just, I'm all about that like moment to moment fine details. Um, my other uh, lead developer, Eric Cook on our team, he's oftentimes a lot of the work that he does doesn't get seen or, or I guess appreciated from the front end mm-hmm. as much because he usually has make sure basically that you know all the levels load in quick times and make sure that the controllers all work across different platforms and make sure that the text can be changed if we decide to go back and do other languages and stuff um so a lot of the stuff he works on are super important to making sure the game can be a success but the stuff that i focus on often ends up being spending months and months just focusing on okay how does it feel when I press the button and the, and the gardener jumps? Does it feel like it's happening the second that you press it? And does it feel like when you let go of it, you know, his his jump height and length and distance is the right amount and all that kind of stuff is my, you know, my world. You've really nailed it. It's just like it's tight and it's responsive. And you mentioned Eric's work there and like that stuff is... I I think that the the layouts for like the text and the dialogue and... That is all so spot on to the world of Gardener and the Wild Vines. It's like each character's, I mean, like each character's dialogue box and little sounds they make. It's also, it's perfect for them. So I, I love them. I, I love it a lot. <laughs> Eric, you did a phenomenal job. I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the way that our team kind of, composition is spread out is really nice and that we complement each other's skills really nicely. Eric is good at the stuff that I'm not as good at or at least don't mm-hmm. want to be good at I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, we also have on our team Zach Woomer who did all of the phenomenal sound design and music. Um, he's so just good. one of those incredible artists that when we we just like go off and make the game and then I send him uh, Eric and I just like get some like video grabs of the game and send them off to him and he sends us back these sound files that we just pop into the game and we're like done it's good let's just ship it we're we're done now <laughs> and then <laughs> the sound uh, is so good yeah he did such a good job with that and he's he's a professional game a audio designer in the game industry he works on a lot of other titles as well and uh, so grateful that he takes out time to help make our games a possibility as well. Um, and I have to also mention uh, our our physical painting artist, Garrett. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in the achievement section of the game, there are these flower paintings. Those are all like paintings that our, our friend Garrett Stache, he painted them by hand, uh, you know, on canvases and scan them in and they look so beautiful they are one of my favorite things to look at they are (laughs) they're gorgeous i I can't say anything else they're beautiful paintings while we're talking about control you and finite reflections decided that one of the first things you're going to do with this game is put that finesse and the fun of gardener to the test with a speed run contest 
How is that going so far? It's going well. Um, I've been really pleased to see a small, tight community of, of speedrunners kind of get attached to the game and discovering all these cool tricks that I, the developer, naturally could never have found myself. <laughs> um, they're, they're doing some really fun things. We decided to make our speedrun competition be focused around just one level so that people could just sort of focus on getting finding unique routes and different skips along this one small thing that they can run over and over again quickly, as opposed to trying to do a speedrun across the whole game, which might take a lot longer. Um, so it's a pretty... I, I think it. I really want to see more people trying to get into it if they can, because I think some people just see speedrunning and get really intimidated, like, oh, there's going to be people better than me. And like, sure, there might be, but you'd be surprised. Uh, if you just run the one level that's our speedrun level, a couple times, uh, you'll be surprised how quickly you'll find ways to just uh, make yourself go a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of the first things I did, um, you actually recommended the demo to me, and that was on one of a uh, mutual friend of ours, Hamal Kid. He, uh, it was through his, his stream, and I remember sitting with the second last level of that demo and trying to do it as fast as I could. And I'm not, like, a phenomenal video game player or gamer, uh, but it was so much fun just seeing how quick I could get to the top. Yeah, and we actually, at the request of, or not necessarily the request, more so just thanks to an early speedrunner of the game's uh, passion for the game, we added a mechanic about, <laughs> I don't know, two months before launch. So I don't know when you played the demo, but we added a sliding mechanic that lets you go even faster. Um, and that was just sort of like a fun last minute, like, okay, let's hope this doesn't break absolutely everything. But <laughs> I, as after I added it and as I started playtesting with it, I was like, this is too cool not to include. Um, you know, screw the consequences. This might have some bugs in it, but it's going to, I think players are really going to like it. And uh, watching the speedrunners use it to just get to ludicrous speeds to beat these levels so fast has been totally worth it. Yeah, it's really cool to see some people. I've watched a couple online of just people being like, yeah, look at how fast you can get through this. And for people who don't really know a whole lot about what Gardener in the Wild Vines is, you play as a character, the gardener, and I, I don't know why I'm describing this. Uh, Kardik, <laughs> would, would you like to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so the gardener in the Wild Vines is a, a wholesome narrative platformer where you play as the gardener on a quest to rescue the love of your life, the prince. Uh, the gameplay is kind of chaotic, but also relatively forgiving and accessible for people that may not be super familiar with the platformer genre and uh yeah I, that's 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 the best pitch i can give on a, <laughs> on the spot you gotta hit these little flower buds and then you go flying in the air and you gotta hit more and vines grow and it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah i core mechanic right also a very important part of the elevator pitch <laughs> uh the whole pandemic has made me just like not remember the importance of elevator pitches i got so used to having like that five uh or i don't know like that one minute elevator pitch ready to go because we'd go to conferences all the time but since that's not yeah. happening anymore i'm just like stuck in my little hole in my home and <laughs> forgetting <laughs> i right i have to talk to people about this stuff <laughs> something that i think is super fun about this game is actually the fact that 
it was totally developed during the pandemic. Yeah. How was that? Like, how did it change what what you did, and how did it affect the game in the end? Yeah, it had a pretty profound effect on the game. Um, I mean, I'd say technically the game jam happened prior to the pandemic, but I think, you know, by the time we were really investing our resources in bringing this to uh, fruition, uh, the pandemic was in full swing by that point. And it was basically the biggest challenge was having to adapt to the lack of conferences. Um, you know, previously that was a big source for us to grow our audience and to get more wish lists and to get more mm -hmm. people to notice us and our game. So we had to go to an entirely online approach of trying to be extremely present online and constantly sharing progress updates. Um, I had very little experience trying to run a community discord prior to this, but I had to just figure it out because it's the, again, without the benefit of going to conferences and without the benefit of meeting people in real life, I needed a way to try and find fans and gather them all in one place and help them find a place to talk about the game and be excited about it. And, uh, that's not to mention, of course, during development as well, uh, a lot of our previous games we were able to refine and, and perfect through going to conferences and uh, going to local meetups and stuff where we could get people to play test it. Uh, but, you know, I had to just reach out individually to friends and peers who were willing to put aside some time and help, you know, play test the game and let me get some recordings of them playing the game and analyze the way that they're controlling the character and the, prep, the pain points and the improvements that we can make. It was just a, a lot of tiny little a lot of tiny little pivots here and there that were added up to just overall a big shift in the way that we make games. Yeah, and I don't think that at, at least to me it doesn't Gardner doesn't suffer from that. Gardner and the Wild Vines does not suffer from the big change. It I'm trying to describe it because I adore <laughs> this game and I don't I want people to play this a lot. <laughs> and um, you've put a lot of love into this game, and you can tell that there is a little bit of the entire studio in there, which might seem like there was a lot of people working on this, but I'm pretty sure you told me there's only really four people who worked on it. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, like actively developing the mechanics and the systems and the, and the, and the d design of the game, it was mostly Eric and I. And then, as I mentioned, Zach, who is our sound extraordinaire, and Garrett, who's helping a little bit kind of behind the scenes and outside of the actual game itself. Mm -hmm. One of the things we talked to prior to you coming on the show was the fact that you recently shifted to full-time game development because of the pandemic and because of this. Can you talk a little bit about how that's been? Yeah. Um, so right out of college, my first full-time job, I was actually working at Cartoon Network in their games department. And okay. um, I, and that was primarily work, working on some web games and working on some mobile games. And then I moved from there to a hyper-casual mobile game studio. So again, focusing primarily on web, on, on mobile games and focusing on this one kind of part of the game industry, which 
has a lot of really cool things going on and has a lot of really interesting games being made. I think a lot of times people kind of, I don't know, gloss over that part of the industry and mm -hmm. don't really give it the attention it deserves. But all the while that I was working at both these companies and, uh, you know, bouncing around throughout the industry, I was still trying to make my own games. That was, you know, around the time when I was making Twin Cop and Containment and doing these ports on the side. And I just kind of realized during the pandemic that I, well, for starters, you know, like uh, as soon as we all started working from home, I realized my cost of living and my, I don't have to pay for like gas all the time. I don't have to pay to live so close to the city. I can reduce my cost of living a ton if I wanted to. And uh, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> so... <laughs> And knowing that at any point in time, a global pandemic may hit and just, you know, cause everything to go to heck for a bit. Uh, all that kind of added up in my head to the point where I was like, you know what? You, you only live once. Shoot your shot and try try your best to make something, make something out of your life. And that was it. I just, I took a big leap of faith and left off <laughs> on my own and... We're going to see how long I'm able to ride it, ride it out. Hopefully we'll be able to, you know, continue to release some more indie games until we can become self-sufficient, or maybe we'll continue on with other contracts. It's just a fun and terrifying experiment. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy for you because not a lot of people get the chance to, to attempt that dream. And so the fact that you have been able to and you've released a couple things that are going well, I... I hope from the bottom of my heart for a really good and prosperous future for finite reflections just in general. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, not a problem at all. Um, another question I had kind of refers to something we talked about a little bit earlier and it was you stating that there was some hesitation and some fear about releasing this game because it's a little bit close to the heart. Would you be comfortable talking about that a little bit too? Yeah. Definitely. Um, and this is, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to kind of strike out on my own is because I think that indie games are such a powerful medium. Um, indie games aren't always so worried about what is and isn't profitable. They're often just more concerned about something that the developer wants to say, something the developer wants to express. That's yeah. where I find so many games that kind of push at the boundaries of what's acceptable or what's uh, popular or what is even just plain profitable. Um, during my development of Garden of Wild Vines, I also started streaming a little bit on Twitch. Um, I got I fell off that closer to launch of the game because I just got a little bit too much to manage. But while I was streaming, I really tried to focus on the really niche and in, and weird small games that I could find on itch because there's just so many games being released all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is. it's kind of intimidating. It's kind of scary. I know that some indies like to call it the indie apocalypse. I'm personally not a fan of that term because it implies that there's something inherently bad with regards to all these games coming out so much. Yeah. When in reality, I see it as more of an exciting artistic renaissance to be alive for where yeah. there is just a abundance of amazing and incredible art being made that we should be appreciating and we should be uh, 
engaging and consuming where we can. And uh, point being this weird long tangent, just that um, I was just really inspired by kind of the bravery and the uh, raw artistic talent that I was seeing while playing all of these different indie games that just kind of went out of their way to wear their heart in their sleeve and, and say something powerful. And I, you know, had this story in my heart of wanting to express a lot of different opinions. If I can levy one small bit of self-criticism about the Garden of Wild Vines, I feel like it was just a game about a lot of things. There may have been some, you know, overlying uh, thematic similarities across the various points of the game makes. But at the end of the day, it was just a lot of like, here are some thoughts rattling around in Kartik's head. Here's how, here's the <laughs> best way that he could string them together into a narrative and fit them within the characters and in a way that creates an, an, a connected narrative, basically. Um, and, you know, if, evidently from the game, you know, the game has things to say about identity. It has things to say about uh, abusive relationships and some things to say about... Uh, the police, you know, yeah. uh, without ge without getting too deep into spoiler territory, you know, it has it has some opinions, and I that's what I love about indie games is that where where other studios are more concerned about maintaining some level of um, I don't know centrism without you know leaning one way or the other to avoid alienating part of their audience, indie games are just like screw you, we're gonna alienate you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't need everybody to play this game. We just need some people to play this game. And at the end of the day, if you know, five people are emotionally affected by my game or if a thousand people are emotionally affected by my game, I feel like I did my duty as a creator to speak honestly and truthfully from the heart. That's great. I love that. Speaking of emotionally affected by this game, like I said, we both met each other through the streamer Hamel Kid. How did it make you feel when he actually cried with the ending of this game? <laughs> it's funny. Eric messaged me uh, after Ham and someone else, Dana's Tea Party, uh, streamed the game on Twitch. Um, and he asked me, uh, Congrats, you've made streamers cry. Are you proud of yourself? <laughs> And I responded you to him. Should like, be. I responded to him. I said, "Yes, <laughs> I'm extremely <laughs> proud. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm so happy that you know that this game, where you know I'm expressing some things that I have previously been very scared to express, are being met with empathy, and uh, that people are in engaging with it in the way that I hope they would. Um, yeah." Yeah, I don't know what else to say to that other than the fact that I'm just I'm glad that it worked. I'm glad that <laughs> I, I feel like it's always uh, you're always in danger of of falling into the trap of like corniness or feeling like the media is too heavy handed whenever you try to make yeah. something like this. And that was my biggest fear is that, you know, I would watch someone streaming the game and they'd read some dialogue and they just like roll their eyes and be like, OK, all right, we get it. <laughs> Um, but thus far, I haven't seen that happen yet. I don't know how much of that you'll really see, because to me, it feels like the people who are playing Gardner in the Wild Vine are the people who don't really have that main character that they can identify with. 
Um, I'm sure if we took a little look at like stats and stuff, this probably would have quite a successful rate with the LGBTQ plus audience. Um, and that in part is because of you on the Twitter making sure that people understand what this is. I remember a handful of conversations where people were referring to the gardener as a she and it being like, no, and shutting it down like right away. What was the reason for making sure people understood that? Um, I think, honestly, it's just a simple matter of the fact that uh, queer representation has been historically either that. willingly or <laughs> yes that silence right <laughs> um queer representation has has either willingly or neglectfully been erased you know uh historically yeah and or ignored and mm -hmm. a lot of that has been due to people viewing everything through a heteronormative lens where they see mm -hmm. things and they're like oh this person loves the prince oh right duh must be a girl right uh yeah. what else could they be same thing happened. It's something that I, I'm thinking about revisiting a little bit in the game, and with the pirate that you meet in the in the island zone, is that um, I've seen some people refer to the pirate as he, who, which is just inaccurate. The pirate is they them. They identify as non-binary, and um, yeah. and I tried to be very like conscious of that in the writing to make sure like, hey, these are their pronouns. And I'm trying to do it without like beating you over the head with it and making it a very sort of natural kind of representation. That's the kind of representation I wanted to move for was like the kind where one's queer identity isn't a big heavy part of the narrative. Because mm -hmm. in my world and the world of my friends, you know, I think I think there are some people who maybe don't have as many queer friends that are like, oh yeah, I bet this is all queer people talk about. It's like no, actually, it's like just part of our lives it's just <laughs> it's not something that we talk about all the time actually i mean sometimes yeah you make jokes about it or whatever but it's not like uh that's that's just the kind of like the representation i wanted to go for and that kind of came with some consequences where people would view it through a heteronormative lens and therefore i saw weird weird results where people would assume that the gardener was a girl people would assume that the pirate was a guy they would assume all these things and so i had to kind of like go on twitter and go on our tiktok um and i also ended up tweaking some dialogue prior to launch to try and make things a little bit more explicit i was just like <laughs> stop it stop it please <laughs> this game is gay <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that caught me off guard. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, wow, a little bit backborne to semantics, though. What is it like to actually launch a game? Because I know prior to, you're like, yeah, I took a week off. It was stressful. What What are some of like the thoughts that come out when you're getting ready for that, that launch? Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, there's, there's this bit that we put in the, in the credits that, um, I want to try and include in all of our games. Like, now that I say that, I can't remember if we included this in our previous games or not, but where we just sort of, we do the thing where most games in the credits say, and thank you for playing the game, you know, but yeah. I try to put a little bit more of a personal touch to it. And we mentioned in that how we worked very hard on this game, but 
we also took care of ourselves and maintained a healthy relationship with our work because yes. um and i thought it was extremely important to say that because of of course everything that's come out this year in regards to to all these other studios and the way that they have been treating their workers and just the kind of studio that i want to run you know growing forward and the hope being that we do grow and that we do acquire more talent i want to have a studio where people don't feel like the work is their life yeah so that being said throughout the development of the game you know we were i i basically did not crunch at any point um there were a few times during which i would work late on account of the fact that i had a day job and then i had to find time in the evenings to get some work done oh i understand that <laughs> <laughs> but uh it wasn't until the last week where um it was just like okay you know when the game comes out on thursday Eric and I are just, you know, sitting through and playing through the game, which is, you know, uh, even, I think for me, it took me like two and a half hours to beat the game, just sort of like speeding through everything. And every time I ran through the game, I would find one more bug to fix, one more bug to do. Um, so that was the closest I ever came to kind of crunching. And even then I didn't come, I don't know how many hours I worked that week, but it was not anywhere near normal crunch hours. That was still enough for me to start feeling burnt out, though. And it's just, it's just a testament to how easy it is to cross that threshold from, oh, I'm working on something, to, oh, I'm burning out on something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just a week of, of fixing bugs, a week of last minute. Um, I'm so, like, sorry to our sound designer, Zach, because he did so much great work. And then at the last minute, we realized we were missing a couple sounds, and he just... <laughs> popped right back in at the last second and, and 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 cranked them out and did such a phenomenal job too at the last second with some of these sounds that we were uh so critically missing um and uh yeah <laughs> once that was out that wasn't even the end of it because i was then just kind of on a emotional roller coaster ride of like and what do people think? <laughs> is it good? Is it bad? Are people going to start harassing me? Are people going to start... Uh, I don't know. Like, I just had no clue what the reaction was going to be. Um, but once the good started rolling in, then mm -hmm. I got a chance to kind of take a deep breath. And uh, we had a couple of fixes. We were basically doing patch every single day after launch uh, as we found people streaming the game and finding things that we could never have found with our limited budget. So those patches came out and now we're in a pretty solid, stable state. I haven't seen anything super glaring pop out since uh, our last patch. And so since basically, I think Tuesday was the last time we put out an update, I've just been catching up on sleep, catching up on, you know, personal items, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that because when I talked to the last game video game designers that came on here, uh, they talked about burnout and just like they they weren't burning out. Like I'm gonna put that out there. They weren't pushing themselves, but we had a long discussion on burnout because it was right around the time the CD Project Red stuff came out, and hearing you hear from indie studios they tend to take care of themselves a lot better and i think that shows in the final product definitely um i i i can tell personally 
when I when I think about the state of the game, how much the quality of it started getting so much better, so much faster when I quit my full time job because not because I had more time, but just because I was that much less stressed. Yeah. And I was just that much more consciously aware of what I was doing. I had that much more uh, creative awareness of of the work I was doing. Yeah, that makes sense to me, actually. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we're actually starting to run a little bit low on time here. But, Kardik, I like to ask on every single episode, when people come on, what advice can you give to a person who's looking to design their own game, but they have no real skills or knowledge on where to start? Uh, my advice has and probably always will be uh, make Flappy Bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is copy the simplest game you can possibly think of. And for me, that has always just been Flappy Bird. It's a devilishly simple game, even simpler than what some people may think is simple. Like, oh, yeah, Pac-Man's a simple game, right? No, no, you've got AI to worry about in that. You've got, you know, so many different oh, moving parts. Tricky ghosts. Right, yeah. Uh, don't think, you know old arcade games simple, because those games are actually complicated. Think Flappy Bird simple. Make Flappy Bird. Make your own version of Flappy Bird. And then make another version of Flappy Bird where you've put your own twist on it. And then, <laughs> maybe then try Space Invaders or something like that. Because um, that's honestly the most common downfall that I've seen from some indie developers is they latch on to, or not, I want to say indie, I want to say like hobbyists that are trying to break into indie, or maybe like you mentioned, someone who doesn't have all those skills and are trying to make their first or break into yeah. the industry. I often see this common mistake where they uh, get enamored by stories like uh, the developer of Stardew Valley, um, which, you know, is an extremely impressive game and the developer did an extremely good job but I think we'd be kidding ourselves to say that that was their first ever game oh 100% I totally agree there so but that's oftentimes what some people think is they're like oh yeah like I don't think I've seen I think the studio's name is Concerned Ape I don't think I've seen a game by them before I can't believe it that's their first game and they just did it great I can do that too but uh, that's the thing about art is you know you when when someone shows you this beautiful painting that they've done you're only seeing the finished product you're not seeing all the scraps of sketches and stuff that are in the trash can behind the painting right um, and it's the same thing in my case like uh, I have a huge huge backlog of really really terrible terrible small games that I made throughout college and, you know, my studio, prior to self-publishing our first very small game, we had many, many failed small projects. And <laughs> that is the case for every decorated developer in the industry. Um, there is there is no indie that just popped out and made their first game a hit. Yeah. Um, it's a very, you know, uh, intoxicating story that you're like, ooh, maybe I could be the one, but... It hasn't happened yet. I don't think you're going to be the one. Just, you know, make that small thing, then make a slightly bigger thing, and continue and rinse repeat. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice, actually, because you got to mess up a bunch to start to learn. Mm-hmm. So, Kardik, where can people find more about you and Gardener in the Wild Vines? 
Uh, you can find out uh, most of everything uh, from our social media. Just search Finite Reflection Studios. I know that's not the easiest name to remember. <laughs> um, but obviously also searching the game, The Gardener and the Wild Vines. We're most active on Twitter, but we do also have a TikTok and an Instagram. Um, so if you search Finite Reflection or if you search The Gardener and the Wild Vines, uh, we try to stay active and you can also find links to our Discord on our Twitter account and come hang out with us and chat about the game if you want. As always, listeners, all those links will be down below. Uh, go play this game. It's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. It's not overly long. It's a very good price for what you're playing. And it's it's heartwarming. I'm going to say it's just it's a nice change of pace. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed it. All right. Well, Kartik, thank you so much for coming on to the show this week. It was an absolute blast. And thank you for answering my questions because I want to do this for the past couple months, actually. So having you on was a little intimidating in its own sense for me because I've been very excited to possibly talk to you about this. So thank you for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking such great and insightful questions. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening as well. Kardik and the Gardener and the Wild Vines, they're already launched, so go pick it up. Take care of yourself. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you so much to Kartik for joining me this week to talk about The Gardener and the Wild Vines. It really is an amazingly well-made platformer that you can sink a lot of time into. So if the genre is something that interests you or you're looking for a different style of game, go to Steam, check out the demo, and check from there. You might really enjoy this one. As always, thank you to you, audience. I had a bit of a flub up last week with the episode and forgetting to upload the original audio in the intro. But everyone who contacted me was really nice. It's all fixed up. So if you took a listen to last week's episode and decided not to follow through and listen to the rest of it, totally understandable. The audio is there now. It's all fixed. And it was probably one of the fastest downloaded episodes we've done to date. So that was really cool. If you're interested in hearing more musical guests, let me know somewhere on the internet because I'd love to show off some more people. Okay, housekeeping stuff. The show has been growing very quickly, and I've been approached by some really interesting, still indie, but a little bit larger projects, and I would love to share those with you really soon. I'm looking forward to getting them out there. So if those are things that you want to hear more about, please keep sharing the show and telling people about your favorite episode or something you discovered through the podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way for us to grow, and you're all making that happen in a really amazing way. Next week, we are leading into our 25th episode, and that's going to be another tabletop role-playing game, so get ready for that. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>